Welcome to Export Stories, a podcast featuring first-person insights from the wide and sometimes crazy world of U.S. exporting. Your host for Export Stories is Betsy Olam, president of Olam International, a U.S.-based export management company. Betsy has made a 37-year career of developing global sales and distribution for U.S. companies. Like you, she loves great stories. You don't have to be an exporter to enjoy the stories we're going to share with you each month. We're so glad you've joined us. Now, here is Betsy to introduce today's podcast. Hello, bonjour, hola, konnichiwa, ni hao, mahaben and shalom. Welcome to Export Stories. I'm your host, Betsy Olam, and we have a real treat for you today. Our podcast is really a real departure from what we're used to doing and what you're used to hearing. This is our first international podcast. Uh, Yes, we're going to be talking about exporting and telling stories, but our guest is an extremely accomplished entrepreneur and exporter from Benin City, Edo State, Nigeria. So her viewpoint is very unique. I'm so delighted to welcome to the podcast Blessing Irabor, President and CEO of Blissimo International, and she joins us from Benin City, Nigeria. Hello, Blessing. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Betsy. It's good to be um, in the podcast today. It's sunny and it's bright down here in Nigeria, and I'm happy to be uh, part of um, what you're doing, showcasing exporters from around the world. Yes. Yes, and, and what's unique about today's podcast is normally we have focused on exports from the U.S., so now we are opening this up to exports, as you say, all around the world, and I think it just adds a, another layer of, of uh, interesting stories and information for everybody. So, um, so blessing, I mean, there's an overwhelming amount of topics that we could cover today, but let's start, you've shared so much, generously shared so much information, but let's start with a little background on who you are. Can you, um, like go all the way back to your education and the beginning of your career? Okay. Um. My name is Blessing Erabo. I'm from Edo State, Nigeria, and I'm born into a family of eight. I am the second child of that family. I had my early education in Benin City. That's my primary and secondary school education, as that's what we call it in Nigeria. Then I moved to the city of Fortacourt in River State for my tertiary institution, where I obtained a national diploma in business administration from the University of Portacourt. I also did a certificate course from the Nigerian Institute of Safety Professionals, uh, level three, which is the highest. Um, That was from, um, I I finished um, from Portacourt in 1998. Then I had the certificate course in 1999. In the year 2000, I debuted my first appearance in the Nigerian movie industry. And the name of that movie is called Aziba. A-Z-A-B-A. It's called Nollywood, isn't it? In uh, Nigeria. Aziba. 
Yeah. The, the, instead of Hollywood, the film industry is called Nollywood. Is that correct? Sort of. Yes. I debuted my first appearance in the Nollywood industry. And I starred in a movie, which uh -huh. I played a supporting minor of a princess in the movie. Huh. And that started my career in the movie industry. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. But, but my parents never really supported me being an actress. But while I was um, uh, acting, I, I, had, I had flair for a passion which has been um, with me since I was a child. Because my mom was into the clothing industry. She, she sells fabrics. And that was, um, I had always loved the clothing industry. Sure. So while I was in the movie industry, I picked a passion in costume. In costume. Costume. And it happened, yes, in costume. Mm -hmm. It happened one day, uh, one of the movies called, uh, one of the movies we were having, something uh, happened to the costume. And he couldn't make it down um, to the set. Mm -hmm. And because anything I'm going out for my um, programs, my directors always love the way I dress. I love mixing the African print with whatever I wear. It was just something that I was doing for fun. It wasn't a business at that time. So he just called me up and said, ah, you could do costume for us. I said, how? I've never done it before. He said, yes, you can. I have watched you over a period of time with the different movies I've seen you. And I love your clothing. So I was given the script, although guided by a director. I interpreted all the roles um, with the clothing they were going to wear for each role. And it came out very well. And that was the beginning of me becoming a costumer in the movie industry. I was not doing costume in the movie industry, but because of the traveling aspect of me moving uh, from one state to the other and my young age, my mom really didn't like it because then way back uh, in year 2000, parents really didn't see acting as um, a big deal uh, in this part of the world. They just see that it's, it's for someone who is not responsible. Right. Because from the kind of home I come from, mommy really didn't support it. So at, in, in 2005, when I did my last, uh, that was when I did my last movie, I pulled out. But at this time, I was already into the buying of uh, indigenous Nigerian fabrics, which were things like Adire, Accra. And I was already selling from uh, home. And then when you come to buy as a client, I will always ask you, what are you using? Uh, which occasion do you want to use this um, fabrics for? They will tell me. I will kind of advise you on um, the kind of um, designs you will make, color combination, and the fashion uh, trend that is in work at that particular time. And people love actually buying from me. So from hobby, it became a profession. It was what no longer... Well, excuse me for interrupting for a minute, but about what year was that that you made that transition to to consulting on fashion? What year was that? Okay, um, that was in 2005. Okay, okay. Yeah, so in 2005, I started, that was when I started selling. And when you just come to buy, I ask you what you're using it for. I'm able to advise you. 
and um, I tell you, okay, this uh, with your body structure, this design will be good for you. And it was really, um, I was beginning to love what I was doing and people were loving it and had a lot of clients. So I decided to take it as a profession. Instead of me going to look for jobs, I decided to go into the clothing industry of me uh, having my own uh, clothing. I buy my materials. You come, say, I, I tell you what to do. And with that, my turnover was in volumes because a lot of people were patronizing me because of the added services I was doing for them in fabrics. And I, I got married in 2006. Um, I had I had a stop between 2006 and 2007 because I, I was pregnant. So mm-hmm. I couldn't really do much. Then in, I came back again in 2008 because I lost the child. I lost the child, so I needed to get back to work. Yes. I needed to get back to work. At this time, um, there is a festival in my, in my state. It is called um, the Igwe Festival. You now, what is that? In- I'm sorry. Say that again. So I want Igwe, Igwe Festival. Okay. It's a festival that has been celebrated in Benin City towards the end of the year. It ushers okay. them, it ushers um, you, uh, uh, the indigents, into the new year. They offer different prayers. Uh, it's a traditional festival. And That's- it's a festival that, um, yeah, that uh, UNESCO is supporting. It's a rich and uh, uh, festival. So that very year, 2008, there was a beauty pageant and I was invited to be a consultant for that pageant because of my background in the entertainment uh, industry. So when I came in as a consultant, I had to change. I told them if there's a cultural first uh, pageant, we don't need trousers. We just need to design everything with uh, our local fabrics for the ladies to wear because it's going to depict our culture and our identity, who we are. And, mm-hmm. and when we did that, it came out uh, beautifully well and everybody really applauded program. And it was, I had newspaper publication, I can forward to you. I had a newspaper publication where I took the queen and we had to do the presentation at the end of the day because we wanted youth too to embrace the festival. So not just seeing it as just uh, something for the elderly. So but, uh, after that um, program, I just went into my uh, clothing sales. I went into my clothing sales. And this time I got a shop. I started running a boutique. I was I... selling the fabrics. Yes, I was selling the fabrics and I was importing clothes from the UK, the US and Turkey and any other place where I think I see some lovely uh, clothing, I just get from that place. I started running a boutique and it was awesome. The business was booming. Until 2015, there was crash in the Naira, that the Naira rose up to up to uh, 550 per dollar. And important clothes. Wait, wait, I I, I wanna make sure that everybody understood what you just said there was because of the economic crash you're saying that the yes in 2015 you're saying the currency exchange was the issue yes the currency exchange was the issue we are having dollars at that time between 500 to 550 to um 
uh, one dollar uh, $1 to five fifty in Nigerian currency. And yeah. when you are bringing in clothes, it makes it so much expensive that yes. um, I, I, I was beginning to lose customer. I needed to diversify at this time to find uh, other avenue to support my business. That was how I went into the, um, back to the Accra ready to wear using our local fabrics to make um, uh, clothes. But yeah. I was just doing it um, in bit by bit, supporting the few ones I can buy just to keep the business um, uh, going. Did you, um, let me ask you something. At that time, did you have a lot of um, contacts with the businesses, particularly women-owned uh, small businesses that were making the fabrics? Or did you have to develop the supply of local fabric? I had to I had to rely on the supply of local fabrics which were done here in Nigeria. Yes. Like the one I sent to you, the tie and dye, it is yes. done locally here. You had the Akara fabrics that was done locally here. So I had to rely on those to make um some gowns which you can easily pick on uh, ready to go, which was then really not the norms as in the Nigerian circle then. So I was just doing it side by side with the little um, imports I will bring in, not much anymore. So it was side by side with, um, the, uh, with my uh, product and the shop just to keep the business going. So 2017, I had opportunity to attend the Flor uh, uh, Florida International Trade and Cultural Expo. Where in Florida was that? Do you remember? Yeah, fixing. Where? In uh, fixing in Broadway County, Fort Lauderdale. Okay, Fort Lauderdale, right, right. Yeah. So I had opportunity to attend the um, the uh, the trade uh, the expo, and I just made clothes with that kind of um doing my background check of <laughs> how I'm supposed to move clothes at the time into the international market. I made clothes um with the my Nigerian mentality had a lot of emblemishment on a lot of them. I only just made some simple gowns and tops and I took them where I was going. Getting to the US, I sold uh, the simple gowns and the uh, uh, simple Accra tops were sold out. But those heavy ones that has this uh, traditional, uh, real African toy that you have a thick skirt and blouse that are really heavy, was they did not really sell. And I'm sorry, was, what, um, kind of, what kind of blouse was that? I'm sorry, say that again. It was, yeah, I said I had the typical skirt and blouse. I'm going to forward some to you that we make in Nigeria that you wear when you are going for occasions. Uh, so a lot of them comes with so heavy embellishment. It's uh, six pieces uh, skirts and blouses. And then our boo-boo that is big, you have stones all over. That actually didn't really sell for me in the in the US. I saw the simple dresses that I that I made that yeah. stood out. I was really discouraged. I was discouraged uh, with that my first outing. And I was introduced to a lady to give her those um clothing to help me sell off. But you know how it is for a starter, I really didn't get some the money for that um, clothing to date. 
it was the worst mistake I ever made. It's hard getting started. Any any business, it's hard getting started in uh, in export. Uh, it's it's takes a lot of uh, persistence and creativity. It's I think we've all experienced that. <laughs> yeah. So I came back. Um, I came back to Nigeria. I had to. Um, I had to re-strategize. I had to redesign. I had to re-strategize to redesign uh, my brand. To redesign my brand, and I had to attend um, sessions of the different training export um, session that will aid me in the in my export um, businesses. Uh, there's um, an agency called the Nigerian Export Promotion Council because I'm a member of the Chamber of Commerce. So I attended a lot of their training program and some online program. I was um, able to redefine my brand to simple, elegant, affordable, and I focused on unique design that will appeal to women of various tastes, preference, and across the globe, not um, what I did originally. And I was able to get um, um, a client from um, Augustine, Texas, that I sent my, my designs to, and it has been um, a beautiful journey since that 2018 for me. For me, it wasn't, uh, I, wasn't I was no longer the rookie that made uh, that blunder. <laughs> when did that mean? <laughs> we're, all, we're all rookies at one point. We all have to start somewhere and I will uh, I will post some of these beautiful photographs on the website when we uh, uh, publish the podcast so everyone can see uh, these fabrics are beautiful. Uh, one thing that I found interesting about your background is how you have uh, mentored and cultivated local women who are making, creating the fabrics. Uh, if you could talk a little bit about that, I think that's really fascinating. Okay. Um, 20, uh, I, um, I started working with uh, local women um, in, in the chamber 2014, 2015. I started with the agricultural sector because in the chamber, I noticed um, when uh, the agricultural uh, committee was not um, functional. So I told my president if I could take it up and he accepted. And I started working with local women on the field, helping them, um, helping them to build their capacity, helping them to build their capacity, uh, helping them to understand um, uh, when to use these fertilizers and when to apply the herbicides. And it's, it really improved their productivity. Why doing that on the field? I met, uh, I met a group of women who were into this hand-woven clothing because um, you get it from the cutting in the agricultural sector. Is there a lot of cotton grown in Nigeria? Um, at a point, the cotton industry died, but now the government is reviving it again. And okay. um, those uh, states where we have those hand-woven clothes, they are already training some youths uh, so that that culture does not die because the hand-woven clothes is a unique um, clothing in Nigeria that you use for your, that is being used for traditional programs 
and um it's uh somebody from the uh, west actually made it into winter wears because they are thick and they are lovely they are they're 100 percent cotton okay we uh it's, i happen to live in an area in uh in the mid-south and we grow a lot of cotton in this area as well it's it's a desert plant oh. actually we're not oh, that's awesome and that could work for some uh, cross-cultural um exchange program sure sure we can so that was how i started mentoring women and i scaled it up too to work with some um, designers because what i do with um my my uh, brand is that i do my sketching i uh i put my uh, designs together with what i have on my head um I, I just bring it together. Then I sit with different tailors. I can easily um, take a walk to one of them right now because she's actually doing something for me so that um, you can see her and see what she's doing. So I just bring the design, sit with them, and we are able to um, come up with some of the un unique um, designs that I send out yeah. of the country. Um, Hello, can you oh. Well, I have to tell you, there's no video uh, on this podcast. It's just audio. So you can send okay. photographs. Okay, okay. Okay, okay yeah. she'll send photographs. Let her just say a quick hello. Oh. Hello. 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 Hi. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Well, we're great. We're so glad you get to have your voice here on our podcast. And what is, what is your name? My name is Evelyn. Oh, how do you do? <laughs> I'm okay. Are you? We are good. We are good. You are, you are talking to uh, the United States of America. So uh, we're very glad to have your voice here today. Thank you very much. So do I. Okay. Uh, you can ask her one or two questions. She's my seamstress that I bring my design to and she works on them. Oh, wonderful. Well, I'm going to have to post some photographs so that people can see what we're talking about. Uh, that, okay. That's so interesting. Okay, yeah. I'll do that. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, let's, uh, Blessing, let's talk for a minute. Uh, let's introduce, let's introduce people to uh, Edo State in Nigeria. You're in Benin City. And um, of course, in general, we know of the Nigerian economy is mostly about oil, but, but what about Edo State? What, what are the main uh, you know, industries there. Okay, uh, first and foremost, I'll tell you, Edo State is um, one of the states in the, in the South South that is uh, one of, and is also one of the oil producing states in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. And um, we are also known for farming and bronze work. We are largely recognized around the world for bronze, for bronze casting ivories oh. that is what the country is uh, that is what the state is known is known for so i so sent you i sent you 
yeah, I sent you a max of uh, that is from the state. Edo State is a state that has a population of 5 million people, and it has four major ethnic groups, which are called the Benin, the Bini, Esam, Onwa, and Esako. They are the four major tribes in Benin City. Okay. And uh, Benin City is a capital that has a history of being one of the foremost destinations of Europe during the exploration in African, in African continents many centuries ago. And some of those um, areas today remains as our tourism attraction of the states. Oh. Yeah, Edo State has a cultural, uh, has a rich cultural heritage, like I told you from the beginning. We are right. famous for our, we are famous for our unique bronze, bronze and ivory work of art, which is in, which is scattered all over the museum in Britain, even in America and in some part of Europe. And a particular bronze that the, uh, uh, the Edo's are known for is the Benin Ivory Marks of uh, Idia, which is um, one of the queen's mother's head that was taken away in the 16th century um, empire during the Benin expedition of the British invasion uh, in, uh, in Benin City during that time. Have any um, of those have any of those ancient masks been returned to the country yes. of Nigeria? So, yes, some were returned because um, the uh, the Edo states, in collaboration with the Nigerian government, uh, started writing to Britain to return some of those artwork. Um, a, um, a good number of them has been returned, but the main marks that one I sent to you. The British has not returned that. Has not returned that particular word. Well, maybe they're listening and they'll feel guilty and they'll return them. <laughs> <laughs> we just hope so that those can be returned. Yeah. Well, uh, they took some things from Greece and uh, and other places too. And uh, we've all, you know, all the Western countries are, are pretty guilty of those things. But uh, at least you have some local production of these beautiful crafts. It's what, a, what an interesting and unique uh, business for Nigeria. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so uh, yeah, and I will, I will share uh, some photographs on the, on the website so people can see. So um, uh, <laughs> you have so many, so, such a broad experience um, you're also involved in so many uh, professional organizations. Now, you and I were connected through an organization called OWIT, Organization of Women in International Trade. And I just recently joined myself, and that's how I was introduced to you. But you are the president of OWIT Nigeria, is that correct? Yes. So can you explain what OIT is for our listeners? Yeah, okay. Organization of Women in International Trade is a body that supports the advancement of women in international trade and businesses around the globe. And our mission is that we are united around the globe. For us as OIT Nigeria, uh, OIT Nigeria is a business support organization and a trade support institution. 
that foster economic empowerment for women and by, by providing platform for information dissemination, facilitation on how women own businesses can thrive and scale up to meet international standards and best practices. That is what OWIT Nigeria is all about. And OWIT Nigeria work in uh, four focus area, which is product development, business training, market access and advocacy. If you look at the Nigerian economy, 80% um, of women are at the corridor of agriculture, which um, mostly are in the informal sector, is only one third of the women that are in the former sector. Okay. Yeah, and, and OIT as a foremost um, trade group is at the forefront of, of helping to strengthen women entrepreneurship, building their capacity for effective production. That is what we do. And we have, um, we have divided it into levels for those that are exporting, those that are aggregating, and those at the production level, which you cannot do exports, uh, uh, exports without these women at the, at the rural level, which they are the ones at the production level. Without them, you really cannot do exports. So OWIT is providing training for those at the community level to make sure that whatever we get at the end of the day is, is of standard and quality when we produce for exports. That's an excellent mission, uh, excellent mission to, to really uh, help develop uh, these local businesses and local talent. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it. I have a lot to learn myself, but hopefully it's going to help us all uh, communicate better and network with more people. So I like that. Yeah. Yeah, because the only way to give women a voice is when they're economically empowered. And OWIT has given us such opportunities so that we can all come together. For me, OWIT is not um, an organization. It's a body, it's a movement of women supporting one another in whatever they are doing. Just like the way now you are supporting uh, me from Nigeria so that my voice can be heard and people can know what I am doing back here in Nigeria. Without um, support from women like you, we'll just be working in our own space and nobody will really know what is going on in this part of the world. Right, uh, it's true and it's fascinating what's, you know, learning what is out there in all the, all the different countries of the world and getting to know each country and the, and the wonderful people like you who are doing business there. It's, I see that you are not just OWIT, but you're a member of, gosh, so many different professional organizations. I just wondered if you had a few stories you could share about some of the organizations that you work with. Okay, I'll, I'll take the Chamber of Commerce. Okay. I joined the Chamber of Commerce 2012 mm -hmm. after my husband passed away. And um, that was when I did my 360 really turn around to become a real um, a business entrepreneur that wants to uh, support the women business um, community. And yeah. when I came into the chamber, 
because of my proactiveness, I was asked to be an acting PRO, which is the public relation officer of the chamber. And I became the public relation officer of the chamber in um, Benin City at those states. From there, I, wrote, uh, I became the deputy coordinator for the NASIMA. NASIMA is the Nigerian Association Chamber of Commerce, Industry, Mines and Agriculture. I became the deputy coordinator of the business women group, where I met a lot of women who had like minds and, um, and my journey working with women really, really uh, took um, the fastest, um, more than 50% up there for me. Yeah. Because I had opportunity to meet other women, understand uh, the challenges they were facing, and I was able to design programs that could support them to grow their businesses and take them to the next level. Because that is what um, uh, the Chamber creates a platform for you to expand and to explore business opportunity. And I was doing so well there, consulting and supporting women at the same time, just enjoying what I was doing as right. well as it was work for me. Can a blessing, can you tell us, and, and is really very honestly, what are and were, what have been some of the challenges for women entrepreneurs in Nigeria? I mean, we have some of the same Wow. <laughs> The challenges of women entrepreneurs in Nigeria is, um, is a whole lot. And I will tell you, like uh, yesterday, I was on a program. We are looking at the Beijing 25 plus in the context of the African uh, uh, 2063 uh, program. What are the benefits and how far the African women has gone? For women-owned businesses in Nigeria, it has been difficult for us because of the uh, literacy level. Literacy level, okay, sure. Education. One of them is education. Another is um, back in Nigeria, you know, our tradition does not allow women to own landed property before now. And like I said, a lot of them are in this agricultural level. And when you need to collect loans from the bank, you need collateral to pick up these loans. So at the end of the day, they are, they are uh, not able to collect some of these um, uh, uh, loans from the bank, which will help support their own uh, businesses. And it, wasn't, it has not uh, been easy for uh, us in um, this part of the world as yeah. women uh, own businesses because of that cultural um, um, differences that we have. We don't have a level playing field between the men and the women. Yes, yeah. a lot of policies have been made, but still women are edged out because of some of these stringent conditions when they need to assess um, loans from the bank. And right. like I said earlier, the literacy level is contributing a whole lot. And I will talk about briefly on the COVID-19, what it has done to women on businesses. A lot uh -huh. of women own businesses are not online, are not online. So the outbreak of COVID-19 has forced a lot of women businesses to even shut down, as uh -huh. I speak right now. Yes. Uh and, the and the palliative from government, and the palliative from the federal government have, um, have this condition of, you, they don't have the collateral to assess this loan. 
So it has really been a problem uh, uh, for women. And the only way we can uh, eliminate this barrier of achieving uh, gender equality for women empowerment is that we have to look at some of these laws that have been made and it has to be reviewed so that it could not be flexible for women uh, to assess some of the opportunities that are out there. And for us to, for some of these women to go online, I have always suggested one thing that um, if they're going to design, if they're going to design some of this app, they should put into consideration those that are really not educated so that they too can be able and can easily use those, um, use those apps to uh, sell their own uh, businesses and be able to navigate through that same processes. Yeah. So those are serious challenges. Are there um, international organizations that are providing microloans to women businesses and that kind of thing? We really don't have international body providing microloans for women-owned businesses, but we have international bodies providing support in terms of capacity building, trying to support the women in building up their capacity. But we should, we, we should not forget one thing. Some of these capacity building that are not tailored to meet those at the grassroots, which has always been another challenge for those at the grassroots. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this. I want people to hear about these issues and understand uh, this, these are just basic challenges for women to succeed. And uh, it's, so I'm, I'm glad that we can share these issues and talk about them and I know you're working very hard to improve the condition for these uh, women businesses. Uh, it's very impressive what you do to support and mentor the women in Nigeria and for and, and for a particular industry creates a beautiful product so it's very important very important what you do. So let me ask you blessing before we go, do you have any other stories that you would like to share about your experience? And uh, um, I would like to share the OWIT experience. As joining the OWIT, I've met women from different parts of the world that I am learning from. And um, I would love if uh, women organizations like um, like OIT and other uh, organizations should look at mentorship for the young women and Taprion, for the young generation that are coming up because that is what they lack. They lack mentorship and coaching from those women who have excelled in their careers over time. They need to hear their story. They need to learn from them how they started their businesses and, and how they've been able to navigate through those challenges that has um, really um, um, kind of uh, challenges that has hindered women from not getting to their potential um, dreams where they really want to be. The young ones need to be mentored. They need to learn. And it will be a very good opportunity if organizations, even like yours, can have a mentorship outreach where women can learn, can talk about, and share ideas with one another to understand what the challenges are and solutions can be provided from those that have 
been able to navigate through those challenges before um, uh, uh, those other generations. Yeah, I, I think nothing's more important for the future than our experienced women like myself and you uh, uh, mentoring the younger generation. You're right, there's nothing more important for the future. So I couldn't agree more with that. And I commend you for the work that you're doing there. This was just a wonderful discussion today, Blessing. I can't thank you enough for uh, making yourself available, you know, for this conversation. I just want to say briefly to our listeners, this has been a great conversation today, and we want to keep it going uh, regarding this episode and some of the issues that we talked about. So please reach out to me on our web page, exportstoriespodcast.com. You can go to the contact page and ask questions or post comments on the episode page. Uh, we are also on Twitter. So uh, please let us hear from you. Uh, we're really trying to create a community of exporters. And this is a great way for us to uh, chat and, and share ideas and issues. So again, Blessing, thank you so much for being our guest today. Uh, it was a great pleasure to speak to you. And thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Export Stories. Perhaps you have a good export story that you would like to share with us or a comment about today's podcast. You can send your ideas and comments to our website at exportstoriespodcast.com or to Betsy Olam on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter at exportstoriespodcast.com so we can alert you of upcoming episodes and share resources with you. We're building a community of export storytellers, so please share this podcast with your friends who have interest in exporting. 